Hey, Jacob Swell Online, thanks for joining us this weekend. I want to begin our time with prayer. So I just want to say that wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you to just kind of, kind of close your eyes, get to a point where you're comfortable, and just kind of take a deep breath. And just become aware of how are you? How are you feeling? What have you been experiencing? What has this day been like? What has this week been like? And without a whole lot of judgment, just become aware of what you've been feeling this week. Have you been nervous? Have you been anxious? Have you been afraid? Have you been overwhelmed? Have you been angry? Has there been a, a person or something that has just made you move from anger to even hate? Have you been jealous or, or just, just, just blue? Just however you are, just imagine acknowledging that, admitting that, and letting that just drift up to the Father so that he might receive you. And he's so, so good. He'll just receive you with joy and love. And just let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Well, this weekend at Jacob's Well, I want to talk to and about leaders, because it is a very challenging time to be in charge. I mean, it is always a special calling. It is always a great challenge to be a leader. But this year especially has been challenging. And I know that I'm talking to, in our church, some of the best leaders that are out there. And I'm talking about whether or not you're a leader at church, whether you're a leader in a school, a classroom, whether you're an ER, whether you're a police officer. I'm talking about whether you're leading a family Family, or you're coaching a team, or you're a captain of a team. I'm talking about anybody who has been put in charge of making things happen, caring for people during a time of such profound uncertainty. And, and I just want to acknowledge that this has been a tough time to lead. Now, the best leaders, and I know so many of you are the best leaders out there, are, are the people who, during this time, stayed calm. Even though inside your mind might have been just overwhelmed and you might have just been screaming, you stayed calm and you centered yourself on God so that you could be a non-anxious presence to those who you are called to lead. They also, the great leaders were the ones who served the ones they cared for. When the temptation would have been to look out for yourself, to protect yourself, instead you asked, what do the people who are around me need? How can I meet their needs? The, the best leaders were the ones who didn't get swept up in extremes. They didn't get pulled to the left or the right or get caught up in a lot of emotions. But again, they centered themselves on Christ and they stayed center on their message and the thing that they were called to do and the people they were called to lead. The, the, the best leaders were, were, were people who didn't get caught up in a lot of image management. That is to say, they weren't super controlled about, con concerned rather, or controlled about about how they look or how they were coming across or if they were saying the right thing or the wrong thing, but instead they were focused on doing 
the right thing. And, and that's what great leaders do. And, 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 and I just want to take a minute to say to you, if you have been in charge, if you have been a person who has had responsibility, thank you. And, and we need you. And now more than ever, we got to face these challenges together. Now, we're in the book of Acts. And this week, we're looking at a little passage of Scripture that would be very easy to skip over. But not only is it central to the central message that we're looking at through the book of Acts, but it also is full of wisdom for those who are called in a challenging time to be in charge. So let's go ahead and take a look. So again, the book of, Eth- the book of Acts, we're talking about this word ethnos, which means people, group, or tribe. Now, here's just something you need to understand again about this, is that this is the heart of God, to bring his message to another people group another tribe of people, another cluster of folks who have gathered together for whatever reason, maybe it's ethnic, maybe it's language, maybe it's shared purpose, and to bring the message of God's love and the gospel into another people group. This is the heart of God. Now, what we just need to understand whenever this happens is that this is contrary to a lot of human nature that is invested in self-preservation. Because very often when we get afraid, when we get under pressure, we're not gonna be concerned about meeting the needs, loving people who are in the next group. We're gonna be concerned about our group. We're gonna be concerned about me and mine and those closest, and I'm just gonna huddle up and I'm gonna worry about protecting Mine. And, and it's especially true if it seems like your interest and my interests conflict. It, it, it's going to be a, 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 an incredible person who finds a way forward to meet the, the needs of the common good, to, to meet the needs of, of more than just me and mine. And the Church of Jesus Christ is going to be challenged to this early on because what we find happens in the book of Acts is a dispute arose. A dispute arose. Now, this is always going to happen when you bring people together for a common purpose. This is always going to happen, particularly as the group and as the movement and the movement of God gets larger. There are going to be some disputes that arose. And the the church and any leader has to think about how they are going to address these disputes when they come up. And there's lots of options, right? You You can deny that you got a problem or there's a dispute. You can blame it on some other person and, 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 and make it someone else's problem. You can, you can delegate it or abdicate it to another group. You can kick it off to another generation or another group or hope someone else comes along and deals with it. Or you can deal with it in the wisdom of God with openness and honesty and with integrity. And that's what we're going to see the church of Jesus Christ doing early on in the book of Acts. Now, the church has been in Acts and they have been experiencing an incredible time of joy and revival and miracles and Thousands of people are coming to know Christ. And for a long time, they enjoyed the favor of God and all the people. But now we're beginning to see that persecution is coming. Challenge is coming. And it would be very easy to look at Acts and see that the great dangers are from pressures outside the church. But the truth is, the greatest dangers to the church then and today, and this is the greatest danger to anything you lead, is actually from within. Attitudes, perspective, sinfulness, selfishness that will come from within that's based on our tendencies to just stick with our tribe, with our people group, with our peeps, okay? And so what happens when a dispute 
arises. Let's take a look. So this is what happens. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. Now, now again, whenever you see an increase in number, you got an increase of problems. You have an increase in opportunity for people to butt heads. And good leaders are not afraid of that. Good leaders learn how to address that, learn how to bring people together. It says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Now, who are the Hellenists? Now, the Hellenists are the Jewish non-Judeans. So, so this is what happens. Remember, um, originally, uh, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And what happened was the Holy Spirit came and in Jerusalem were Judean Jews. That is to say, Jews who were primarily from Judea. They were from that area. They're around that from Jerusalem. They were from that area. So they were of that group. They were of that tribe. And even within that group, there were subgroups. And, and these were people who had spoke the same language. They grew up with a very similar common experience. They just knew uh, uh, the right things to do. They had a culture. Now, now the Spirit came and many of them became followers of Christ. But then there was this other group, this Hellenistic group. Now, these were Jews who actually, their ancestors had been, had been spread. They had been um, 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 driven out of Jerusalem centuries before, and they had been spread all over the known world. They were in Ethiopia, and they were in Rome, and they were in Arabia, and they were just all over. Well, they continued to cherish their faith, follow their faith, in different ways through the synagogue. So these were Jewish people who were followers and teaching of Moses. Some of them were called proselytites. That is to say, they were actually non-Jewish people who converted to the Jewish faith. And these were people who were very devout because the people who were in Jerusalem had made a commitment in the ancient world to travel from their home to Jerusalem to celebrate the seasons of feasts. This might have been a once-in-a-lifetime trip for them, but they were clearly committed, and, and they came. And now when they came and they heard the message of Jesus, many of these Greek Jews are Hellenistic Jews, or uh, what, the, what the Judean Jews would have called foreign Jews became part of the church. So now what you have is you have this big church all together made up of people who have the same history far back but not the same history more recently. So many of these Hellenistic Jews would have been people who would have dressed like the culture they were from. They would have spoken only the language of the place they were from. They might have actually adapted, adopted some of the culture, some of the habits. They might have fallen out of practice. So some of the things that the Judean Jews would have just thought, this is what it means to be Jewish, they maybe didn't do anymore because they haven't been to Jerusalem for hundreds of years. And so it would have been people who were of us, but different. It would have been, you're of us, but, you know, it's me and you, but I'm not sure about you. And so whenever you have this kind of tension, you, you have the opportunity for divisions to happen. This is a huge opportunity for the church, but it's also a huge threat. And it's just the beginning, because again, what we've been saying all throughout the study of the book of Acts is that this inclusion of the other is going to just keep going. I mean, it's going to go to Gentiles and Samaritans, to women, to slaves. It's going to go, you know, all the way, you know, um, to, to, to people who in the law would have been considered unclean, eunuchs, and, and people who had been um, um, sinful and far from God, even Roman soldiers who were the oppressors. They were going to be included. And so this is the, the first challenge, the first test on how the church is going to include those ones who are other who God wants to make 
part of his family. So this is what happens. A complaint arose among the Hellenists against the Hebrews. And so now you got two groups, the Hebrews and the Hellenists, different culture, but same religion, same, you know, so there's the same, but different, but there's a complaint because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So let me explain a couple things here. The first thing is this, is what ended up happening on the day of Pentecost is that all these people became followers of Christ, from, some from Jerusalem, some from Judea, some from far away. But many of them, it seems like most of them actually stayed in Jerusalem. So what that meant was that now the church had all these people living here and they had to provide for each other. That's why they held everything in common. That's why they were selling land to help people. And one of the groups that the Church of Jesus Christ has always cared for are the most vulnerable. That is to say, in this case, the widows. So these are people without family, who the church said, you know what, we're going to care for them. And so they would give them food daily. What happened was there was a problem in that when the food was distributed, the Hellenistic group, the Hellenistic widows who were, again, from a different culture, different language, all those things, they were being neglected. Now notice it didn't say there was a perception of them being neglected. It says they were actually being neglected. This is unfair this is unjust, this is not right. Now again, when these things came up, an insecure leader will want to do some things that are incredibly unhealthy. One, they will want to ignore it. They'll want to say, not my problem, don't want to think about it. You know, they'll want to say things like, look at all the good things that are going on. We had a miracle this morning. Why are, you, why are you being so negative? They won't want to look at it. The other thing they want to do and want to blame it. Well, you know, those, uh, you know, Hellenistic Jews, I mean, why are they even staying here? And, and, and they were late and, and, and they'll want to blame. They want to make it someone else's fault. Or, or they'll want to, you know, they'll want to blame another person. Well, it's not my responsibility. It's my, it, someone else's responsibility. Or they'll want to deny it's a problem. You know, they'll want to say something like, you know what? They're not really being neglected. This is really exaggerates out of control. But what you have here is the church, listen now, willing to be honest about real problems. And good leaders are honest about real problems when people are being neglected, when they're being treated unjustly, when things are not fair. They have the courage to say, that's not right and we're gonna do something to address it. We're gonna do something to make it right. This is the sign of great leadership. This can feel like a hassle. This can feel like a problem. This can be scary for a leader because what if, what if I help these Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews get mad at me? What if I don't look right? What if I don't say right? What if the people who are following me don't follow me anymore because they didn't like what I was doing? Because it, it looks pretty benign and just like a couple verses in scriptures, but I have no doubt that this got heated. Because we're talking about people's moms. We're talking about vulnerable women. I, I'm sure that there are people who are saying, this is not fair. What are we going to do about this? So this complaint that arose, I don't imagine the people going in and just saying to the disciples, oh, um, hey, I don't want to bother you. Just this little thing. Not a thing but just this little, can we just talk about this? Now, I imagine there are people upset. I imagine there are people who are both downplaying it on one side and exaggerating on another side. I imagine this was emotionally charged. This is a big deal, and it's a threat to the church. And the worst thing the church could do is ignore it, deny it, blame. What the church does is it deals with it directly. Now, this is really interesting, this next part. It says this, and then the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. And so here's what happened. The 12 original apostles. So these are the 12 people who were with Jesus, who had Jesus' teaching, and, and they had been given a special charge to Jesus to teach 
the people what I taught you, to preach the gospel. That just needs to be your priority. That needs to be your focus. And so the 12 recognized this was a problem. And so they summoned the full number of the disciples, both the Hellenists and the Judeans. And he says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, I've never liked the way they said that because it sounds a little arrogant, like we're too good for that. But that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, listen, when Jesus left, he gave us a very specific thing to stay focused on because good leaders stay focused on their main thing. But they deal with the problems too. The, the, the main thing was to preach the gospel, preach the word, and we've got to stay committed to that. So we've got to find another solution for this. And so this is about delegating. This is about empowering others to do things. This is about not trying to control the situation or massage it or trying to make it look good, but rather to do good. And so good leaders will do this. Look what it says in verse three. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And so he's, what they're gonna do. They're gonna empower people to solve the problem and they're gonna set up guidelines for the qualifications. And so what we're looking for is a group of seven. So that would have been a number that would have been significant. It was big enough, but not too small where a few people have control but, but big enough where there's a lot of voices involved. So seven men of good repute, full of the spirit. And so I understand this is not just people who are good people or smart people or maybe smart business people. These are not even people who are just moral. These are people who have a God perspective. They are listening to God. They are looking for God. They are praying people. These are people who you say they are known, they are respected. God clearly is what their life is all about. They talk about God. They follow God. They make their decisions based on God. These are the kinds of people who want to put in charge of this. And so they have a good reputation. Everybody, both sides, Hellenist and and the, the Hebrew Jews, I'll say, yeah, I respect that one. I respect that one. I respect that one. And they really know and they follow God. And of wisdom. So wisdom for them would be different than us. We tend to think of wisdom as information. The Hebrew understanding of wisdom would have been taking the truth of God and successively integrating it into your life. And so this is a person who actually shows that they live smart. They do smart. They treat their family well. They treat their business people well. They, they are known to have lived well. So these are competent people who are succeeding in life. And, and so this is not a small dispute. This is a big dispute. So we're going to put people in charge. We're going to create levels of leadership. This is the maturing of the church. This is a, 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 a time when the church is becoming more robust and more strong and more powerful. It says, whom will appoint to this duty? So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to find spirit-filled people with wisdom whom we're going to give this responsibility. We're going to have them take up the responsibility. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word so that we can trust them to get back to the thing that we were created to do. Good leaders do the things that only they can do and they empower other people to do the things that they were created to do, that they were called to do, that, that they're supposed to do. It's just a brilliant picture of leadership. It's, it's found in, throughout the Bible in Moses' leadership and David's leadership and the Apostle Paul's leadership. And if we just say it, this is exactly how Jesus led as well. This is the maturing of the church. He says this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose. Now this is important and I'll just show you this. Stephen, and we're going to learn a bunch about Stephen next week. He's going to just become a powerhouse. He becomes the first person to give his life as a, as a martyr in the church. We'll see that next week. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're going to learn more about Stephen. Notice, by the way, that Stephen started by serving before he started preaching. He was a person who said, yeah, I'll do whatever. 
I'll do whatever God needs me to do. And, and they needed a strong leader to be in charge of this, make sure it got done well. And then the other names are, are Philip and Prochus and Nicor and Timon and Pethys and Nicholas and a proselyte from Antioch. Now, what's important about those names? One, the people receiving the book would have known them. So these were emerging leaders who developed into leaders. The second thing that's really important is while there are a couple names that seem Hebrew names, the majority of these names are Greek names. That is to say, the people who were disenfranchised became empowered. The people with the complaint were given a voice, were given authority, were given power to deal with the problem. And so there seems to be a mix between some Hebrew leaders and some Hellenistic leaders and even a proselyte. That is to say a person who was completely Greek at one time, completely foreign at one time, converted to, um, um, converted to um, um, uh, Judaism, then became a Christian from Antioch. In just a little bit, we're going to see in, in, in several weeks what happens in the city of Antioch is the first Gentile church is going to be born from Antioch because when they got spread out and scattered, they had to run for their life. Some went to Antioch. We wonder if it isn't, it isn't this guy who went to Antioch who talked to Jews but also talked to non-Jews and the church of Antioch was born. But the point is, is it's diverse leadership. It's empowered leadership. It's leadership representing those who have been disenfranchised, disrespected in unjust treatment. And so the wisdom of the church saying, yeah, we got a problem. Yeah, we're gonna be honest about it. Yeah, we're gonna deal with it. We're gonna put good people in charge of it. And we're gonna give everybody a voice in it. This is just good and wise leadership. These are people who are not panicking. They're not worrying about how they're gonna look. They're not trying to micromanage or keep things under control. They're not in denial, but they're willing to be honest about it and they're willing to deal with it in an open and a mature way. Take a look at verse six. These they set before the apostles and then the apostles prayed for them. That's powerful. We need to pray for our leaders at every level. Pray for our leaders at every level, okay? If your son or daughter became captive of a sports team, pray for them. Not so much the team will win or that they'll do well or they'll succeed, but that they'll learn the power of servant leadership and helping the others on the team succeed becomes their priority, not just their own image and success and all that. Pray for people at every level. These set before the apostles, they prayed for them and they laid hands on them. That's the apostles giving them authority, giving them position, saying they now have the authority to deal with it. That's the apostles trusting people because good leaders trust people and also trusting the Holy Spirit that is at work at people because people will let you down. We all know that, we all understand that. But, but when you find good people and you empower them, it, you, 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 you release them to do the ministry that God has for you today. And so, so this is an incredible lesson for all of us who are called at different ways at different times to be in charge. You know, again, this has been such a challenging time to be in charge. I, I wanna do a couple things. The first thing I wanna do is, is I, wanna, I wanna challenge you with a couple next steps. The first thing I wanna do is I wanna challenge you to pray for our leaders. Now, it's very easy right now to point out all the things that are wrong with our leaders because every leader has a million people shouting on them on newscasts, on, on, on comment sections, on articles, because we're in the season where we're supposed to make everybody else look bad. We're supposed to be tearing down. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of Christian. And if you have given yourself excuse to do that, please stop it. Please be better than that. If you haven't prayed for the leader, you've given yourself permission to despise and hate. 
You just need to stop. We, we see clearly in the scriptures that God ordains leadership. And even if we didn't vote for him and, and we didn't agree with them, we still need to pray for them. We need to, when they have the authority, submit to the things they tell us to do. We need to also, when they're in authority, understand that that is someone God has put in authority. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't say we don't question our leaders. If we disagree with them, we don't vote against them. We don't, through reasonable, um, established political structures, oppose each other in honest debate. That's a very different thing than the toxic environment that we're in. So I want to challenge you in terms of next steps to pray for your leaders, okay? Maybe turn off the news feed and, and turn off the news and just spend time. I'm going to pray for the president. Say, I don't like the president. Pray for the president. Say, I'm going to pray for the governor. I don't like the governor. Well, pray for the governor. Pray, pray for your congressman. Pray for me. Pray, pray for all the different people who God has put in positions of leadership because it's a very, very difficult, challenging time. Maybe you're mad at your kid's teacher and, and maybe you're really upset about some other thing, but you just put it on your, 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 your kid's teacher. Are you praying for your kid's teacher? You need to be praying for them. You're praying for the police force out there, first responders. If we spent more time praying for our leaders, less time harshly criticizing them, we do a lot better. Now, the second thing is this is just something that we've been emphasizing here at Jacobsville for a while, and that's baptism. I'm gonna challenge you to think about making baptism your next step, and I'm gonna do it by showing you um, just an incredible um, baptism of one of the people who leads us in worship around here uh, as part of our tech team. Let's take a look. And when we go down into the water, it's as if you're symbolically dying with Christ. That old self is dying. And then the moment that you come back out of the water, it represents resurrection. The same resurrection that Jesus has had from the dead is what we symbolically are representing today. And I think, beautifully, baptism stands as this opportunity for you to stand in front of your church family and your real family yeah. and to say that this matters to you. That yeah. this is something that you want to live your life for. That Jesus is... Um, the priority and he's he's everything yeah. it's always been a you know a joy to work with the worship team and you know have a contribution into bringing people to god that's awesome yeah. danny have you accepted jesus as your lord and savior yes i have then i now baptize you in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit So baptism, incredible next step that you could be taking. I mean, you, you see it there. That's what baptism is all about, a celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're interested in being baptized, go to the website, click on the baptism link, and there's instructions there to get you started. This is a step you're supposed to take. Now, the third thing in terms of next steps is just what we've been talking about, 40 days of prayer. And, and, and every week, there's a day, there's a time where we're praying for our leaders. And, and, and if you've been using the daily online Hours of Prayer podcast, you know we pray for our leaders a lot in those podcasts. There are days of fasting. There are Wednesday night prayer where we're gathering together, believing that the first call that God wants us to do to respond to all the things going on in the world is to pray. And so I want to remind you, church, to be praying 40 days a day, 40, using the 40 days of prayer. There are hundreds of people who are praying right now in our church in ways we never have before. We're just expecting God to do great things, amazing things. And so this is the challenge for us as the people of God to respond differently than the world, to respond with openness and integrity and to pray for our leaders. Let's do that right now. Father, I just want to end my time to today, Father God, by just saying thank you for the leaders you've given us. 
Forgive us for our harsh criticisms, for taking cheap pot shots, for speaking when we don't know all the information, we don't know the pressures, the, the, the variables that they're facing. We would pray that you would just bless our leaders. We would pray, Father, that if there are bad leaders, unjust leaders, you would expose them and they would be removed. We would pray, Father God, that you would show mercy on us as a people. Very often we get the leaders we deserve, and so there's a deep need for us to turn back to you, to begin by turning back to you. Would you have mercy on us in this upcoming election? Give us the leaders we need, not the leaders we deserve. Help us all to participate through voting and, and the process you lead, but help us to do it with a heart that is set on the things of God that would work for the common good, even for people who are not part of our tribe, part of our people group, we would just pray, Father, you'd show us how to be different even as we're in the midst of this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.